Hey y'all, my name is Tommy Lauren McGinnis, and welcome to History Through Art, a Randolph College podcast. Currently, I'm a junior at Randolph College, and I'm a History and Museum and Heritage Studies double major. I'm an aspiring secondary American history teacher, and taking Dr. Justina Licata's African American history class has inspired me in so many ways. But I'd have to say the most impactful lesson I've learned is there are too many names and faces that we don't know in American history, especially those of color. I want to educate upcoming generations on all aspects of American history, instead of the whitewashed narrative my generation and ones before heard. The injustice within American classrooms of removing black voices and marginalized stories is unacceptable. I hope to show my devotion to the responsibility as an educator to give voices to those who have been purposefully silenced by the U.S. education system in this podcast through a piece of art by Faith Ringgold titled Women Free Angela. Women Free Angela was created by Faith Ringgold in 1971. It is currently on loan to the Mayer Museum of Art at Randolph College. There were three factors for why I chose this piece. First, at first glance, I saw the name Angela, which reminded me of a historical figure that we had just learned about in class earlier in the week, also named Angela. She was the only named African woman amongst the group of about 20 enslaved people to arrive at Point Comfort in what is now Hampton, Virginia in 1619. I thought about how ironic this was that this lithograph was most likely about someone and something else entirely, but the name is still so tied to so many different African-American stories. Second, the artist had a room filled with works of vibrant colors, differing palettes, some on quilts, some on canvas, but this piece only contained three colors, black, red, and green. The colors were inspired by activist Marcus Garvey's Pan-African flag created in 1920. The words Free Angela and Free Women plastered the two-foot print in a tessellating pattern of green, red, and black triangles. The compositional format Ringgold uses in this work was inspired by the Cuba textile designs of the Democratic Republic of Congo. And finally, her name was just pretty intriguing to me. Oddly enough, her last name is the name of my hometown. Ringgold. I felt a certain tie to this artist I knew nothing about, really because of this familiarity I had with her last name. Faith Ringgold uses her art to convey her own story and the experience of being a black woman in America. Born in Harlem in 1930, she began her life during the Great Depression, one of the hardest times in American history. She did not let this deter her from being great. At the young age of 20, she was the first African-American and the first woman to study art at the City College of New York. Her career took off in the 1960s and hasn't stopped. She used her skills to create her own story. Women Free Angela was created in response to Angela Davis's imprisonment. Ringgold was a trailblazer. We can learn from all of her pieces, but especially this one. I gained knowledge of one of the most important American activists through her work. Ringgold created outside of the realm of a canvas. She combined her formal training as a painter with the traditional sewing and quilting skills passed through the women in her family. Some of her most famous works are now turned into children's books. 
Faith Ringgold is an incredible artist who broke barriers for other artists in the present day and has not ever been afraid to speak out for what she believes in. Ringgold's piece titled Women Free Angela was created in response to the government's efforts to criminalize Angela Davis. Angela Davis is a civil rights scholar, professor, and activist. She was born in 1944 and grew up in rural Birmingham, Alabama. The oppressions that she witnessed during her youth were horrific, but sadly the norm for the people of color. The neighborhood that Davis grew up in was nicknamed Dynamite Hill due to the high number of bombings that took place by white supremacists. Her mother and father instilled values of how to be an activist early in their children. Her mother, Sally, was a leader in a Marxist and W.E.B. Du Bois-inspired group called the Southern Negro Youth Congress. Angela's public activism began in integrated study groups in high school, but as an elementary school child, she gave food to her classmates who did not have any. As a member of the Communist Party, she faced anti-communist and anti-socialist discrimination throughout her early 20s and into her 40s. In college, Davis studied philosophy, law, and classics. She traveled to France and Germany to study for her undergraduate and graduate programs, which heavily influenced her new world view. Seeing how other countries view what America was doing to black Americans was shocking to Davis. This, combined with hearing about all of the injustices back at home, there was no more time to be spent in Europe. Davis came back to the U.S. in the summer of 1967 from Germany. She promptly began involving herself in the Chela Mumba Club, a Communist Party club, and the Black Panther Party as a teacher. Angela is a well-educated and highly revered scholar, but after college, her life took an unexpected turn. October 7, 1969, a beautiful fall day in Los Angeles. Angela Davis strides onto the University of California, Los Angeles campus with a confident air. She was filmed walking into her building, her natural hair in the wind, her gaze fixed, ready to do what she was born to do, not paying any attention to the media frenzy around her. A communist who will indoctrinate her students. She's a genius, a true scholar. She's dangerous. Professor Davis is just what the college needs. She's a black radical. She's a revolutionary. So many opinions, so much controversy, with still so much praise. Professor Davis was actually invited to apply to UCLA. She gained her job in philosophy because she was one of the most well-versed and educated individuals on European philosophy at this time. Her first lecture drew 2,000 people from the campus. Opinions swirled after her lecture just as they did before. Governor Ronald Reagan yet again denounced Davis calling her a dangerous communist. Davis continued to teach in the midst of receiving death threats, hatred from the governor, and relentless praise from her faculty and students. In 1970, the Board of Regents of UCLA overthrew the hiring of Angela Davis and fired her from her position against the wishes of the university. UCLA staff attempted to save her position without success. As the Board of Regents voted her out of her position, she was actually fighting another fight not her own. The day after that she was fired from UCLA, Davis told the press, quote, I'm going to keep on struggling to free the Soldad brothers and all political prisoners. What is happening to me is only a tiny, minute example of what is happening to them, end quote. 
The day her career was on the line, she was fighting another fight. That's who Angela Davis is. But who exactly are the Soldad brothers? How do they fit in her story? January 13th, 1970. A white guard was overthrown from a balcony and died in the Soldad State Prison. Three black men who were prominent prison reform activists within the system had organized the rally in which the overthrow of the guard took place. Just because they organized it, they were charged with murder. George Jackson, John Cliche, and Fleeta Drumgo were organizers and were targeted for their ability to do so by being charged with the murder of this prison guard. Angela Davis took immediate action. She protested and spoke out against these injustices taking place against them. She used her platform to expose the mistreatment of these men, especially George Jackson, who had been kept in solitary confinement for seven out of the 11 years he was in prison. Jackson and Davis had a complex relationship over the course of her campaign for change and his case. In this time of fear and activity in the public, it was necessary for Davis and other activists to own guns for their protection. Just as any other citizen in the United States, she legally had a right to own and carry guns. She had permits for each of the firearms that she owned. In this case, though, even doing the things the legal way makes you a criminal. August 7, 1970. George Jackson's younger brother, Jonathan Jackson, was active in the protest to free the political prisoners. Jonathan Jackson, with three firearms and inmates that he had organized in an escape and kidnapping attempt for James McLean, a prisoner at San Quentin in a Marin County courtroom. He was killed along with two inmates and they had killed Judge Harold Haley. August 12, 1970. National news broadcasts revealed that the two firearms used by the organizers had belonged to Angela Davis. Davis was promptly charged with murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy. She was added to the FBI's top 10 most wanted list a week later, all because she was the owner of two of the three firearms. She was nowhere near Marin County on the day of the shooting, but because she followed the laws to purchase guns, she is now charged as a murderer. In the words of Davis, quote, what does it mean to be a criminal in this society, unquote. The Che Lumumba Club and the Black Panther Party supported Angela through the tedious hideout process. Davis was adamant about not fleeing the country because she did not want to be unable to return to the U.S. She was aided by David Poindexter, a comrade, fellow communist, and activist, for months to be able to flee the FBI's woman hunt. They were hiding all across the United States, Chicago, Miami, New York. At a Howard Johnson in New York City, on October 13, 1970, Angela Davis was caught and arrested by the FBI. She was extradited in December of 1970, in the middle of the night, back to California. She was in prison for 11 months without bail, charged with conspiracy, murder, and kidnapping. She could have faced the death penalty, which at this time in the state of California was the gas chamber. During these 11 months, Faith Ringgold took artistic action and created her piece, Women Free Angela. At month 11 in prison, she was able to be released on bail because the state of California had made the death penalty illegal. Her bail 
was over $100,000, which made it extremely difficult for her supporters to raise the needed funds. A white man from Fresno, California, named Roger McAfee, put up his family of five's dairy farm as collateral. The obvious infraction of justice targeted at Davis sustained the public opinion that Angela must be free at all costs. Leading her team was two male African-American attorneys, Leo Branton and Howard Moore Jr., and a white woman, Doris Walker. Davis, as a free woman, gave her own opening statement in her trial on March 27, 1972. Her words are concise and strong. Quote, Members of the jury, we were correct in our understanding of the case of the Soldad brothers. Monday morning, as you sat there listening to the prosecution's opening statement, the ultimate fruits of our labors were attained. The 12 men and women who for a period of many months had listened to all the evidence which the prosecution could muster against the brothers entered in a courtroom in San Francisco and pronounced the Soldad brothers not guilty. If George Jackson had not been struck down by San Quentin guards in August of last year, he too would have been freed from that unjust prosecution. End quote. After four long months of the trial, on June 4, 1972, Angela Davis was found not guilty of all of her charges by an all-white jury, but these were the events that defined her life. Her words outside the courtroom that day were just as powerful as her opening statement. Quote, This is the happiest day of my life. People all across the country and the world who worked for my freedoms see this as an example of things to come. From this day forward, we must work to free every political prisoner and oppressed people everywhere. Unquote. Davis is a revolutionary. Angela Davis is one of the most notable activists, scholars, and women of the 20th century. And yet, I've only learned about her as a 20-year-old in my third year of my undergraduate studies. She defined movements, inspired protests, and changed how the world viewed black women. After watching the 2013 documentary, Free Angela and All Political Prisoners, and seeing Davis speak, I was starstruck. My favorite quote from her is, quote, what does it mean to be a criminal in this society?" Unquote. This question goes hand in hand with our class this semester and all the discussions that we've had. As an aspiring U.S. history teacher, I'm ashamed of our system. I'm ashamed that I've only heard of Angela Davis as a 20-year-old. What does it mean to be a criminal in our society? It isn't what anyone wants to believe or face, but it's true. If you go up against any of the capitalist or white-only favoring democratic principles in our country, you're a criminal. It is as simple as that. The U.S. school systems are just as bad as all other repressive systems. We have a nationalist school system that forces these ideas just for you to have to later unlearn them or deal with the consequences of ignorance if you hold those ideas to be truthful. What does it mean to be a criminal in our society? To challenge the norms of this society, to suggest any sort of collective programming that could possibly benefit a marginalized group or even just yourself. 
but the fact that it is organized outside the realm of the capitalist regime that we live in. You are criminal. You are wrong. I want to be a criminal if that's what our society is. And it is what our society is. My classroom will hear names that I was never taught. I will accept I will not be able to know every name or every story or every event, but I can make sure that I don't keep a whitewashed nationalist narrative going. Angela Davis is a revolutionary whose story will never stop inspiring me. I cannot wait to share her story with my future students so they can be inspired too. I want to thank everyone who took this time to listen to my episode. Thank you, Dr. Justina Licata, for all of your hard work to educate us students honestly and unabashedly. Dr. Licata is an invigorated, lively, and revolutionary educator, clinic escort, activist, historian, and woman. I'm so blessed to know such a strong role model. Thank you to Laura McManus for all of the open and honest conversations you allowed us to have at the Mayer Museum of Art. Laura sees an educator in all people. She sees an intellectual in all people, and she will make those people feel heard. Finally, I want to thank Randolph College for hiring both of these powerful women to have such an impact on our lives. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episodes of History Through Art, a Randolph College podcast.